Hello, everyone. I am so happy to be back and with you. I am your host, Kendra Snow, and this is a new podcast, Bye Bye Bye. And it is an exploration of the duality of our identities that everybody has. Whether you are a straight white male or a queer minority, we all have dualities that we are living with. And I really wanted to take this space to really explore that dual nature and living in those tensions. So a lot of you have been asking, how am I doing? And for those of you who might not be familiar, um, I was recently terminated from my position as a host of a podcast called Advent Next. Um, After doing some interviews with LGBTQ pastors uh, that did not align with uh, the dominant theology, and after coming out as bisexual myself, I was shortly thereafter terminated from my position. So as a result, I have started my own podcast. So yeah, welcome to Bye Bye Bye. This is a new podcasting platform. I know a lot of you out there have been interested in my transition and how I got into this space. And it's something that I've decided to leave for my Patreon page. And the reason why is because I want that to be more of an intimate space, a kind of behind the scenes, a more personalized journey. So for those of you who are interested in my transition from Advent Next to here and some of the details of what had happened, uh, that's going to be for that page. I didn't really want to lead with that in my conversations as I continue to rebrand and really create my own space. So that's for Patreon subscribers. For as little as $5 a month, you will get a bonus episode every week. Just to catch everyone and put everyone up to speed, the first episode we will be dealing with some of the issues around me being let go. And so I think for a lot of people, it, it represented more than just the program. It represented, you know, how the church deals with LGBTQ members. But this is going to be a new exploration. And it's going to be a time where we can explore books It'll be kind of like a book club in some ways, Uh, have conversations with authors from time to time, and just really get a handle on the complexities of life. So today's episode is about self-acceptance and self-integration, and we're going to take a little bit of a look at history as well as some of my own story, but I wanted to start off with this monologue that I wrote. I feel like it gives all the details maybe better than I could actually speak them. Being bi, biracial, bicultural, bisexual. There are so many intersecting journeys in the bi experience. But ultimately, this podcast is trying to navigate the complexity of what it means to hold tension in those in-between spaces. The first thing a person often asks me is, what are you? On first look, I'm pretty ethnically ambiguous. But this ambiguity, which I once felt was a curse is actually what has forced me to think critically about my identity. My Afro-Latina immigrant mother, my white father born and raised in the state of Maine. There's something actually very American about the melting pot that is me. Like an underwater snorkeler, I often experience the world as a keen observer of multiple realities. Sometimes, though, I don't quite feel like I belong to either. There are other parts of my bi-identity that color how I see the world. For example, I was raised in an agnostic home, but chose to join a community of faith when I was 12. 
I have great respect for the values that were instilled in me through my non-religious communities. These so-called secular communities have taught me more about tolerance, acceptance, friendship, and unqualified love than my religious communities ever have, to be honest. And also blended in the most delicate weft is my faith, a faith that has taught me to connect to something greater than myself, to see myself as part of a world and not the center of it. To see my participation in my community as one that champions the voices of the oppressed and cares for those who cannot care for themselves. To be a steward of the environment. And to speak fearlessly to power in the face of injustice because something as big as God protects me. I have loved being raised by these two parents. To be both deeply secular and deeply rooted in faith. To be bisexual for me also means to live in a world where I'm both a villain and a hero a heretic in my religious community, and a brave, bold voice of authenticity in my non-religious community. To live with both self-hatred and self-love. There are so many buys in this journey of life, so many both-ands rather than either-ors, that I really wanted to create a space for us, the ones who, regardless of what you look like, how you believe, how you identify, we create a space that uniquely considers what it means to live in duality. All of us, each and every one of us, carry a dual nature. The yin and the yang, both good and evil, light and dark. It's a fascinating, complex existence, one in which we gain freedom as we learn to accept this duality, accept that it is entirely possible to be a hero in our own story and a villain in someone else's. And drawing from my own faith tradition, believing that God is big enough to encompass it all. Opening up the conversation for what it means to live intention, right? Somebody myself who is biracial, bicultural, bisexual, it does often feel like you're you're in the in-between spaces observing your communities, but not quite integrating fully into either, right? And that's not everyone's experience. And that's not my experience all the time, but it is a part of the bi experience. No matter who you are or how you identify, at some level, we feel this duality, even if it's just this core understanding that there is both good that exists within us and evil. And it's sometimes hard to acknowledge those two halves of the same whole in the same space. I remember actually being triggered this week because you know, somebody was telling me about a story of a woman who they had met in their profession And she was abused and kind of living in her car and just really in a difficult position. And they shared that story with me because they were like, hey, I know that you have gone through abuse. I wanted to kind of know what might be going through this person's brain. And I was in a place at that moment of time where I was actually really down on myself questioning my own goodness because I was feeling more of a villain than I was a victim. And when she brought that information to me, I just felt like those two worlds could not exist in the same space. Like I had a hard time seeing myself as like, oh yeah, that did happen to me. And it was really hard for me to sit with that dual reality because, you know, I had just, I had this experience where I was really angry and I was 
very also apologetic to be like, oh, I don't want to be angry like that. That's so not who I want to be. And so when this person brought the story of this victim, who was really the victim of anger, victim of control, victim of abuse, it was so hard for me to identify with that. It's like, I felt like I lost the rights to my own story. Because I'm like, well, you know, this happened to me, but a few days ago, I was angry at somebody else. And maybe I was on the other side of that spectrum. And it was so difficult to accept that there are times when we are both the villain and the victim. I think when we don't recognize those dualities that exist within us, that we develop a false image, right? If we think that we're just evil and screwed up and there's nothing good that we can do, we become hardened in that reality, you know? It's hard for us to feel vulnerability again because we're so convinced that we need to fit the image of what an evil person is, right? And if we're so convinced that we are only good (laughs) and the things that happen to us in life are only a product of us being a victim, then it's really hard for us to stay vulnerable and acknowledge when we've done something wrong. So today's talk is about self-integration and self-acceptance. And what I thought would be very interesting was to talk about this theme within history and within cinema, especially of the tragic mulatto. Now, mulatto is a derogatory term for someone who is half black and half white. And I will probably use the term mixed, except when I'm referring to this particular trope, the tragic mulatto. But it was very interesting. Actually, I was called a mulatto (laughs) not that long ago, which, you know, it's 20. 21, it's definitely not the 1950s, but um, I, I would say that it was done in a sense of not knowing the terminology. It was an elderly lady, and I had been walking her dogs because I had seen that she was just struggling <laughs> to barely walk, and uh, I would walk my dog every day and pass her by and see her struggling with this little chihuahua. And so at, one, at some point, I I offered to, you know, hey, I can come by, I can help walk the dogs, you know, uh, give you a break. And uh, I remember she was talking with me and she was asking me about like, you know, what's my heritage, what's my background? She's like, I think, you know, you'd be called a mulatto, right? And I was like, "Mm, (laughs) that's not exactly the terms uh, that we use nowadays. So (laughs) anyway, long story short, we're going to just say mixed from this point on, except when I'm referring to this trope. So this is what's very interesting about this trope. And I think the tragic mulatto and the story of the tragic mulatto, I mean, Langston Hughes writes about it. It goes back all the way to like 1843 with the stories by Lydia Marie Child. She wrote some short stories. Uh, One was called The Quadroons and the other one was Slavery's Pleasant Homes. And usually, you know, these are light-skinned women who are the offspring of a white slaveholder and a black female slave. And the life was tragic because she could never quite cross over into this place of privilege, right? As long as she appeared African-American in any sense, she was not going to be accepted in in the dominant community. She got some privileges from being light-skinned. 
And that also put her at odds with her community because, come on, you know, nobody who is suffering (laughs) wants to see somebody getting privileges because of how they look, right? I think that's just very natural for us to be like, ugh, this pretty heifer. Like, so it put her both at odds with her community. Um, it, it put her in a place where she was never accepted socially. And so there was a lot of stories that kind of encapsulated this place of the in-between. Now, this is not necessarily saying what life is like here in 2021, but it is an interesting look at history. And the reason why I want to take a look at history, because if we can just hold into our minds Rather than seeing the specific racial connotations of this, because race is a social construct, right? It's not something that we have added meaning to. It does not have inherent meaning, but we have created meaning within our society and within American society to have dark black colored skin means to be of a lesser social class than to have white skin, right? And so let's just take those terms and flip it into what does it mean to be in the accepted community and the non-accepted community, right? In the accepted community, you have access to economics, to social privileges, to political power. To be in the non-accepted community is to not have access to any of that, not to have access to social power, political power, economic power, none of that. And I think that every space that we enter into will encounter some of those social contracts, right? Where we know who we need to be to be in the dominant accepted community. Like, let's think about church, for example, right? Uh, You know how you have to dress. You know how you have to talk. We know the appearance of how you are supposed to live, right? Uh, You know, heterosexual marriage, 2.5 children, you know, women wear dresses and no jewelry and like have this modest appearance. And that's how you gain acceptance into the dominant community. Now you come outside of that. You are a single woman having a child out of wedlock. Like there's stigma to it. There's social stigma to it. Or if you identify as queer, right? And you're openly identifying as queer. There's going to be some ramifications for that right? So how do we begin to move away from those types of spaces? But first, I want to continue with the illustration. So kind of the archetypical mulata was a woman named Paola. And she's this tortured, self-hating, African-American mixed woman in the movie Imitation of Life. And it's basically, you know, she is in this place where she has this opportunity to pass into the dominant class. She's able to pass as white. And she basically, you know, doesn't want to associate with her mom anymore, but her mom, Delilah, is basically saying, this is a quote, he, God, made you black, honey. Don't tell him his business, accept it, honey. I want to go away. And you mustn't see me, own me, or claim me, or anything. I mean... Even if you pass me on the street, you'll have to pass me by. Oh, no, Paola. Oh, I know it's terrible of me, Miss B. But you don't know what it is to look white and be black. You can't ask your mammy to do this. You've got to promise me, Mother. I'm your mammy, child. I ain't no white mother. 
It's too much to ask of me. I ain't got the spiritual strength to beat it. I can't hang on no cross. I ain't got the strength. You can't ask me to unborn my own child. Paola sees her blackness as what's keeping her from being able to have all of these things, right? She wants access to the privileges where she can live without the stigma of what it means to be black in the 1930s, right? And so there's there's sympathy and there's no sympathy for this character, right? I think initially we feel repugnance for someone who would deny a part of themselves in order to uh, gain acceptance so they can have more money and like you've betrayed a part of yourself. So I think the first thing, the first initial reaction, it's so easy to pass judgment, right? So anyway, Paola, ultimately, she rejects her mother, she runs away, she passes for white. And Paola is often was used as a derogatory term for women who wanted to pass as white during the civil rights movement and the black empowerment movement. And it was basically comparable to an Uncle Tom. And what I think is so interesting about this is because, you know, while this character who was living with this duality of identity feels like she has to choose one or the other. And in choosing to identify with the privileged class, she is able to escape, you know, this economic plight, but it's at the cost of a betrayal of her community. Now, we often like just look at these people as like cautionary tales and we don't look at the systems that have created them. Because Paola's existence, her tragedy is not in isolation. It's not like poor Paola, she's mixed. It's it's a society that has denigrated African Americans, right? It's a society that has removed black men and women from power. And in any association with the black community, in any association of that racial heritage, means that you no longer have access to the privilege that you would if you were just purely white. And so Paola's experience of suffering is not just in isolation. All black people are suffering at this point. Everybody, right? And so it's not this tragedy of like, you know, she alone suffers. It's the fact that she has something that she that could possibly make her life better. And we think the moral thing to do is to say, to forego that, you know, to forego the privilege and to stay loyal to who you are, even if it means that you pay a social economic price tag for it. And there's something inherent in our in moral compass internally that says, yeah, that's good. That's the right thing to do. But if you think about it, and I've been thinking about this, I think we're all payola in one way or another. And specifically, I think about religious community, right? There is, take away the racialized connotations and think about what it means to live in privilege within those spaces. The kind of virtue markers that you have to have. I've spoken to a lot of artists who feel like, I don't feel like I have a place in the church. So many people say this, I don't feel like I have a place in the church. And it's not because there is no place. It's because we've crafted a space that only accepts one side. We've created a church 
that celebrates whiteness. And what I mean by whiteness is, yeah, you know, you can talk about white evangelicalism in, in America. That's a whole other issue that we will be talking about on, on future podcasts. But that there is this privileged class of identity, this good part of ourselves, this gentleman, gentle lady construction that we have made and said, this is what it means to be accepted in this society. And this is the only part of us that we're going to accept. But you go to something like a 12-step meeting and you will meet where I think people are doing the real work of transformation, right? People really struggling with their sobriety and they're putting their sobriety first above everything and nobody is sugarcoating the struggles of their life. And in that community, you have real love, real accountability, real people struggling together to be the best versions of themselves not just a privileged class trying to keep the status quo of privilege by having people live up to a particular image. If we have become that as people and how we craft our communities, we will always make other people feel like they are suffocating. When I think about somebody like Paola and what she's wanting to obtain too, you know, it's like, it is the American dream, you know, to be beyond the complexity of what it means to have to be judged and segregated because of your identity, race, gender, sexuality. I, I, I have to be honest, like, like when I think about the ways that I have never really talked about my sexuality publicly, it, it, absolutely has to do with one, not wanting to go through an apology for my existence. And when I say apology, not I'm sorry, but apologetics as is, as in, you know, the explanation for existence, <laughs> like those things are just exhausting. And I think about, I would love to not have to do that. And I also think I would love to not lose opportunities. I have hidden so many parts of my story. So many parts of what it means to be a woman, so many parts of what it means to be queer, so many parts of what it means to live within my duality of my uh, ethnic identities in order to just say, I just want a paycheck, in order to just say, I just want to advance economically. Life is hard enough. Life is already difficult. Like I just want to be able to take care of myself and thrive in that space. So I'm definitely in a space now where I'm like, I'm not trying to be in any spaces where I can't be fully 100% myself. If I can't bring all of myself into a room, then I'm not walking into that room. And if it requires me to downplay any part of who I am, then it's not something that I want. It's not a friendship that I want. It's not a church that I want. It's not a job that I want. And... I don't know if I can afford to do that to myself anymore because it's a cruel thing. It's a cruel thing not only to myself, but it's a perpetuation, right, of saying it's okay to treat people who don't fit the mold the way that you do. It's okay to treat these parts of myself like second-class citizens, that, that it's worth hiding. It's worth not sharing. I don't want to be in those types of environments. 
So when it comes to the story of Paola and the tragic mulatto, I think the tragedy is not how these stories are often portrayed, right? Where this person ends up committing suicide or overdosing because life is hard and they just couldn't fit in. I think the tragedy is that this person feels as though they have to cut off a part of themselves in order to fit in. It's the system that would create those types of choices for this person. I think the tragedy is having to be placed in the situation where you have to deny your mother or your father in order to gain acceptance into the dominant group. And what's an application for that? You know, you make your own applications in your own life for what that looks like. But I think it's a cruel, cruel thing and a cruel ending because even if this person does pass into the dominant group and receive the privileges that they longed for so greatly, um, that this person is forever going to be living a displaced life. Maybe not physically, but yes, physically. They're displaced from their community that they grew up in, displaced in their very soul, right? That they have to learn to hate themselves. And, you know, anybody who has dealt with any self-hatred or anger, and if it's something that's building up inside of you, it's going to come out eventually in destructive ways and self-destructive ways. And so the tragedy that is the tragic mulatto is the self-hatred that is internalized. And even if they do pass, they cannot live with themselves and that, you know, they do end up committing suicide and like a lot of these stories, right? But the tragedy really is a, is a society that would force someone like a payola to have to make those decisions. I mean, it's a cruel space in existence. So as we are on this journey of bias and this understanding of bias, I think it's really important to keep in mind uh, that we should allow the full range of humanity to exist. And look, I'm not talking about child sacrifice. I know there's some people who like to take things to extremes, but I think for the majority of you, you know what I'm talking about, right? That we are imperfect human beings who do not fit the aspirational mold of perfection. And this perfection that's often expected of us, whether it's inside or outside of our communities, that we can create spaces where people can just be fallible human beings who are all longing for acceptance. We're all longing for a place in a community that loves us. So the journey of self-acceptance is being able to love yourself enough, right? To say, I don't want to hurt myself and I'm not going to put myself in spaces that hurt me. And from that empowerment, from that self-acceptance, we can begin to find and create spaces where other people don't have to hurt themselves in order to belong to our friendship or to our particular circle. So as I move forward, you know, um, I'm going to continue having these conversations with my very unique perspective. And for those of you who are Patreon subscribers, I want to offer something where you're going to get a bonus episode every week. But I also want to make this a space where you are able to tell your stories. So I have just been kind of appalled by some of the things that I see on Twitter and some of the stories that people have shared with me through direct message. And if you want your story to be shared, if you would like to ask questions and for me to answer them on air, please let me know because I want to be a voice for the things that are happening that are relevant. That'll be a part of our bonus materials 
uh, that will be available. And hopefully for those who feel on the fringe, who feel like they're in those, you know, in between or outsider spaces or on the, you know, on the outskirts of their communities and not quite feeling like they know where they belong. Like this is a podcast for you. I want to make that space um, of acceptance and hopefully I'll be challenged in my own journey. And I hope uh, that I can continue to grow. So next week, we're going to look at a book. It's called The Power of Ritual, Turning Everyday Activities into Soulful Practices by Casper Terkul. And I think it's going to be just a real fascinating walkthrough because he has some very interesting perspectives on how to begin to incorporate very meaningful, mindful, like God-filled practices into things that we do every day. And I really enjoyed that read. I can't wait to share it with you. And a, a couple weeks following, we'll also be looking at The Scarlet Letter. It's an old book, but it's so pertinent. It's about, uh, you know, a woman who has to wear this huge A for an adulterous, adulterer uh, on her chest. And she is cast out of her community, but she lives on the outskirts, making a modest living for herself. And while she is out there, ousted from her religious community, there are people who come to her by night, people who come to her and share their stories because they find her safe. And in some ways, she becomes a priest in her own because people come to her knowing that they don't have to be perfect. So I think it's a really interesting read. There's so many lessons and perspectives that we'll gain from it. So I'm excited. I'm excited to take this journey with you to read some of these books and to continue our education together and let it transform us from the inside out. Thanks so much for listening and I will see you all next week. Again, if you'd like to be a part of our Patreon subscribers, you will get a bonus episode every week and you will also be continuing to help the cause and help this channel grow and to stay. And if you guys like what you hear, please consider giving so I can continue uh, to produce and provide relevant and meaningful content for your conversations and for your own growth. Thanks so much for tuning in and I will see you all next week.